Chapter Four of the Courage of Marge O'Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Courage of Marge O'Doone by James Oliver Curwood. Chapter Four. David followed where he fancied he had last seen the woman's face and caught himself just in time to keep from pitching over the edge of the platform beyond that there was a pit of blackness surely she had not gone there two or three of the bells were still clanging but with abated enthusiasm from the dimly lighted platform grayish white in the ghostly flicker of the oil lamps the crowd of hungry passengers was ebbing swiftly in its quest for food and drink a last half-hearted bawling of the virtue to be found in hot steak and liver and onions at the royal alexandri gave way to a comforting silence a silence broken only by the growing clatter of dishes the subdued wheezing of the engines and the raucous voice of a trainman telling the baggage man that the hump between his shoulders was not a head but a knot kindly tied there by his creator to keep him from unraveling even the promise of a fight at least of a blow or two delivered in the gray gloom of the baggage man's door did not turn david from his quest when he returned a few minutes later two or three sympathetic friends were nursing the baggage man back into consciousness he was about to pass the group when someone gripped his arm and a familiar and joyous chuckle sounded in his ear father roland stood beside him dear father in heaven but it was a terrible blow david cried the little missioner his face dancing in the flare of the baggage room lamps it was a tremendous blow straight out from his shoulders like a battering ram and hard as a rock it put him to sleep like a baby did you see it i didn't said david staring at the other in amazement he deserved it explained father roland i love to see a good clean blow when it's delivered in the right david i've seen the time when a hard fist was worth more than a preacher and his prayers he was chuckling delightedly as they turned back to the train the baggage is arranged for he added they'll put us off together at the frenchman's david had slipped the thin packet into his pocket he no longer felt so keenly the desire to tell father roland about the woman at least not at the present time his quest had been futile the woman had disappeared as completely as though she had actually floated away in that pit of darkness beyond the far end of the platform he had drawn but one conclusion this place graham was her home undoubtedly friends had been at the station to meet her even now she might be telling them or a husband or a grown-up son of the strange fellow who had stared at her in such a curious fashion Disappointment in not finding her had brought a reaction he had an inward and uncomfortable feeling of having been very silly and of having allowed his imagination to get the better of his common sense he had persuaded himself to believe that she had been in a very great distress he had acted honestly and with chivalric intentions and yet after what had passed between him and father roland in the smoking compartment and in view of his failure to establish a proof of his own convictions he was determined to keep this particular event of the night to himself a loud voice began to announce that the moment of departure had arrived and as the passengers began scrambling back into their coaches father roland led the way to the baggage car 
They're going to let us ride with the dunnage, so there won't be any mistake or time lost when we get to Thoreau's, he said. They climbed up into the warm and lighted car, and after the baggage man in charge had given them a sour nod of recognition, the first thing that David noticed was his own and Father Roland's property stacked up near the door. His own belongings were a steamer trunk and two black Morocco bags, while Father Roland's share of the pile consisted mostly of boxes and a bulging gunny sacks that must have weighed close to half a ton. Near the pile was a pair of scales shoved back against the wall of the car. David laughed queerly as he nodded toward them. They gave him a rather satisfying inspiration. With them he could prove the incongruity of the partnership that had already begun to exist between him and the missioner. He weighed himself, with Father Roland looking on. The scales balanced at one-thirty-two. "'And I'm five feet nine in height,' he said disgustedly. "'It should be one hundred sixty. You see where I'm at.' "'I knew a two-hundred-pound pig once that worried himself down to ninety, because the man who kept him also kept skunks,' replied Father Roland, with his odd chuckle. Next to smallpox and the bullet through your heart, worry is about the blackest, man-killingest thing on earth, David. See that bag? He pointed to one of the bulging gunny sacks. That's the antidote, he said. It's the best medicine I know of in the grub line for a man who's lost his grip. There's the making of three men in that sack. What is it? asked David curiously. The missioner bent over to examine a card attached to the neck of the bag. To be perfectly accurate, it contains one hundred ten pounds of beans, he answered. Beans? Good heavens, I loathe them. So do most down-and-outs, affirmed Father Roland cheerfully, and that's one reason for the peculiar psychological value of beans. They begin to tell you when you're getting weaned away from a lobster palate and a stuffed crab stomach. And when you get to the point where you want them on your regular bill of fare, you'll find more fun in chopping down a tree than in going to a grand opera. But the beans must be cooked right, David, browned like a nut, juicy to the heart of them, and seasoned alongside a broiling duck or partridge or a tender rabbit. Ah! The little missioner rubbed his hands ecstatically. David's rejoinder, if one was on his lips, was interrupted by a violent cursing. The train was well under way, and the baggage man had sat down to a small table with his back toward them. He had leaped to his feet now, his face furious, and with another demoniac curse he gave the coal scuttle a kick that sent it with a bang to the far end of the car. The table was littered with playing cards. Damn em! They beat me this time in ten plays, he yelled. They've got the devil in em. If they was alive, I'd jump on him. I've played this game of solitaire for nineteen years. I've played a million games, and damned if I ever got beat in my life as it's beat me since we left Halifax. Dear heaven, gasped Father Roland, have you been playing all the way from Halifax? The solitaire fiend seemed not to hear, and resuming his seat with a low and ominous muttering, he dealt himself another hand. In less than a minute he was on his feet again, shaking the cards angrily under the little missioner's nose, as though that individual were entirely accountable for his bad luck. "'Look at that accursed tray of hearts,' he demanded. First card, ain't it? First card, and if it had been the third, the sixth, the ninth, or anything except that confounded number one, I'd have slipped the game up my sleeve. Ain't it enough to wreck any honest man's soul, I ask you, ain't it?' 
why don't you change the tray of hearts to the place that suits you asked david innocently it seems to me it would be very easy to move it to a third place in the deck if you want it there the baggage man's bulging eyes seemed ready to pop as he stared at david and we saw that david really meant what he had said a look of unutterable disgust spread over his countenance and then he grinned a sickly and malicious sort of grin say mister you've never played solitaire have you he asked never confessed david without another word the baggage man hunched himself over his table dealt himself another hand and not until the train began slowing up for thoreau's place did he rise from his seat or cease his low mutterings and grumblings in response to the engineer's whistle he jumped to his feet and rolled back the car door now step lively he demanded we've got no orders to stop here and we'll have to dump this stuff out on the move as he spoke he gave the hundred and ten pounds of beans a heave out into the night father roland jumped to his assistance and david saw his steamer trunk and his handbags follow the beans the snow is soft and deep and there won't be any harm done father roland assured him as he tossed out a fifty-pound box of prunes david heard sounds now a man shout a fiendish tonguing of dogs and above that a steady chorus of yapping which he guessed came from the foxes suddenly a lantern gleamed and then a second and a third and a dark bearded face a fierce and piratical looking face began running along outside the door the last box and the last bag went off and with a sudden movement the train man hauled david to the door jump he cried the face and the lantern had fallen behind and it was as black as an abyss outside with a mute prayer david launched himself much as he had seen the bags and boxes sent out he fell with a thud in a soft blanket of snow he looked up in time to see the little missioner flying out like a curious gargoyle through the door the baggage man's lantern waved and the engineer's whistle gave a responding screech and the train whirred past not until the taillight of the last coach was receding like a great red firefly in the gloom did david get up father roland was on his feet and down the track came two of the three lanterns on the run it was all unusually weird and strangely interesting to david he was breathing deeply there was a warmth in his body which was new to him it struck him all at once as he heard father roland crunching through the snow that he was experiencing an entirely new phase of life a life he had read about at times and dreamed of at other times but which he had never come physically in contact with the yapping of the foxes the crying of the dogs those lanterns hurrying down the track the blackness of the night and the strong perfume of balsam in the cold air an odor that he breathed deep into his lungs like the fumes of an exhilarating drink quickened sharply a pulse that a few hours before he thought was almost lifeless he had no time to ask himself whether he was enjoying these new sensations he felt only the thrill of them as thoreau and the indian came up out of the night with their lanterns in thoreau himself as he stood a moment later in the glow of the lanterns was embodied the living breathing spirit of this new world into which david's leap out of the baggage car had plunged him he was picturesquely of the wild his face was darkly bearded his ivory white teeth shined as he smiled a welcome his tricolored hudson bay coat of wool with its frivolous red fringes thrown open at the throat 
the bushy tail of his fisher skin cap hanging over his shoulder and with these things his voice rattled forth in french and half indian his joy that father roland was not dead but had arrived at last behind him stood the indian his face without expression dark shrouded a bronze sphinx of mystery but his eyes shone as the little missioner greeted him shone so darkly and so full of fire that for a moment david was fascinated by them and then david was introduced i am happy to meet you monsieur said the frenchman his race was softly polite even in the forests and thoreau's voice now mildly subdued came strangely from the bearded wildness of his face the grip of his hand was like father roland's something david had never felt among his friends back in the city he winced in the darkness and for a long time afterward his fingers tingled it was then that david made his first break in the etiquette of the forests a fortunate one as time proved he did not know that shaking hands with an indian was a matter of some formality and so when father roland said this is makoki who has been with me for many years david thrust out his hand makoki looked him straight in the eye for a moment and then his blanket coat parted and his slim dark hand reached out having received his lesson from both the missioner and the frenchman david put into his grip all the strength that was in him the warmest handshake makoki had ever received in his life from a white man with the exception of his master the missioner the next thing david heard was father roland's voice inquiring eagerly about supper thoreau's reply was in french he says the cabin is like the inside of a great roast duck chuckled the missioner come david we'll leave makoki to gather up our freight a short walk up the track and david saw the cabin it was back in the shelter of the black spruce and balsam its two windows that faced the railroad warmly illumined by the light inside the foxes had ceased their yapping but the snarling and howling of dogs became more bloodthirsty as they drew nearer and david could hear an ominous clinking of chains and snapping of teeth a few steps more and they were at the door thoreau himself opened it and stood back après vous monsieur he said his white teeth shining at david it would give me bad luck and possibly all my foxes would die if i went into my house ahead of a stranger david went in an indian woman stood with her back to him bending over a table she was as slim as a reed and had the longest and sleekest black hair he had ever seen done in two heavy braids that hung down her back in another moment she had turned her round brown face and her teeth and eyes were shining but she spoke no word thoreau did not introduce his wild flower wife he had opened his cabin door and had let david enter before him which was accepting him as a friend in his home and therefore in his understanding of things an introduction was unnecessary and out of place father roland chuckled rubbed his hands briskly and said something to the woman in her own language that made her giggle shyly it was contagious david smiled father roland's face was crinkled with little lines of joy the frenchman's teeth gleamed in the big cook stove the fire snapped and crackled and popped marie opened the stove door to put in more wood and her face shone rosy and her teeth were like milk in the fire flash 
Thoreau went to her and laid his big heavy hand fondly on her sleek head and said something in soft Cree that brought another giggle into Marie's throat like the curious note of a bird in David there was a slow and wonderful awakening every fiber of him was stirred by the cheer of this cabin builded from logs rough-hewn out of the forest his body weakened by the months of mental and physical anguish which had been his burden seemed filled with a new strength unconsciously he was smiling and his soul was rising out of its dark prison as he saw thoreau's big hand stroking marie's shining hair he was watching thoreau when at a word from marie the Frenchman suddenly swung open the oven door and pulled forth a huge roasting pan. At sight of the pan, Father Roland gave a joyous cry, and he rubbed his hands raspingly together. The rich aroma of that pan, a delicious whiff of it had struck their nostrils even before the cabin door had opened, that and a perfume of coffee. But not until now did the fragrance of the oven and the pan smite them with all its potency Mallards fattened on wild rice and a rabbit my favorite a rabbit roasted with an onion where his heart was and well peppered gloated the little missioner Dear heaven was there ever such a mess to put strength into a man's gizzard David and coffee this coffee of Marie's It's more than ambrosia it is an elixir which transforms a cup into a fountain of youth take off your coat david take off your coat and make yourself at home as david stripped off his coat and followed that with his collar and tie he thought of his steamer trunk with its tuxedo and dress coat its peak shirts and poke collars its suede gloves and kid top patent leathers and he felt the tips of his ears beginning to burn he was sorry now that he had given the missioner the check to that trunk a minute later he was sousing his face in a big tin wash basin and then drying it on a towel that had once been a burlap bag but he had noticed that it was clean as clean as the pink flushed face of marie and the frenchman himself with all his hair and his beard and his rough worn clothing was as clean as the burlap toweling being a stranger suddenly plunged into a life entirely new to him these things impressed david when they sat down to the table thoreau sitting for company and marie standing behind them he was at a loss at first to know how to begin his plate was of tin and a foot in diameter and on it was a three-pound mallard duck dripping with juice and as brown as a ripe hazelnut he made a business of arranging his sleeves and drinking a glass of water while he watched the famished little missioner with a chuckle of delight father roland plunged the tines of his fork hilt deep into the breast of the duck seized a leg in his fingers and dismembered the luscious anatomy of his plate with a deft twist and a sudden pull with his teeth buried in the leg he looked across at david david had eaten duck before that is he had eaten of the family anna's busha disguised in thick gravies and highbrow sauces but this duck that he ate at thoreau's table was like no other duck that he had ever tasted in all his life he began with misgivings at the three-pound carcass and he ended with an entirely new feeling of stuffed satisfaction 
he explored at will into its structure and he found succulent morsels which he had never dreamed of as existing in this particular bird for his experience had never before gone beyond a leg of duck and thinly carved slices of breast of duck at from eighty cents to a dollar and a quarter an order he would have been ashamed of himself when he had finished had it not been that father roland seemed only at the beginning and was turning the vigor of his attack from duck to rabbit and onion from then on david kept him company by drinking a third cup of coffee when he had finished father roland settled back with a sigh of content and drew a worn buckskin pouch from one of the voluminous pockets of his trousers out of this he produced a black pipe and tobacco at the same time thoreau was filling and lighting his own in his studies and late-hour work at home david himself had been a pipe smoker but of late his pipe had been distasteful to him and it had been many weeks since he had indulged in anything but cigars and an occasional cigarette he looked at the placid satisfaction in the little missioner's face and saw thoreau's head wreathed in smoke and he felt for the first time in those weeks the return of his old desire while they were eating mukoki and another indian had brought in his trunk and bags and he went now to one of the bags opened it and got his own pipe and tobacco as he stuffed the bowl of his english briar and lighted the tobacco father roland's glowing face beamed at him through the fragrant fumes of his hudson's bay mixture against the wall a little in shadow so that she would not be a part of their company or whatever conversation they might have marie had seated herself her round chin and the cup of her brown hand her dark eyes shining at this comfort and satisfaction of men such scenes as this amply repaid her for all her toil in life she was happy there was content in this cabin david felt it it impinged itself upon him and through him in a strange and mysterious way within these log walls he felt the presence of that spirit the joy of companionship and of life which had so terribly eluded and escaped him in his own home of wealth and luxury he heard marie speak only once that night once in a low soft voice to thoreau she was silent with the silence of a cree wife in the presence of a stranger but he knew that her heart was throbbing with the soft pulse of happiness and for some reason he was glad when thoreau nodded proudly toward a closed door and let him know that she was a mother marie heard him and in that moment david caught in her face a look that made his heart ache a look that should have been a part of his own life and which he had missed a little later thoreau led the way into the room which david was to occupy for the night it was a small room with a sapling partition between it and the one in which the missioner was to sleep the fox breeder placed a lamp on the table near the bed and bade david good night it was past two o'clock and yet david felt at this present moment no desire for sleep after he had taken off his shoes and partially undressed he sat on the edge of the bed and allowed his mind to sweep back over the events of the last few hours again he thought of the woman in the coach the woman with those wonderful dark eyes and haunting face and he drew forth from his coat pocket the package which he had forgotten he handled it curiously he looked at the red string noted how tightly the knot was tied 
and turned it over and over in his hands before he snapped the string. He was a little ashamed at his eagerness to know what was within its worn newspaper wrapping. He felt the disgrace of his curiosity, even though he assured himself there was no reason why he should not investigate the package now, when all ownership was lost. He knew that he would never see the woman again, and that she would always remain a mystery to him, unless what he held in his hands revealed the secret of her identity. A half-minute more, and he was leaning over in the full light of the lamp, his two hands clutching the thing which the paper had disclosed when it dropped to the floor, his eyes staring, his lips parted, and his heart seeming to stand still in the utter amazement of the moment. End of chapter 4